Here in Orlando, Florida, O-Town Compost is leading the composting revolution, recycling organic waste into a nutrient-rich resource. Join Charlie Pioli, founder of O-Town Compost, as we hear from the nation's leading voices behind the grassroots community composting movement. Welcome to the Community Composting Podcast. If you enjoy the Community Composting Podcast and want to support future episodes, please follow the link in the episode show notes to give a small monthly reoccurring donation, even if it's $5 to $10 a month. We'll continue to come out with killer content to keep the grassroots movement rolling. All right, welcome to episode number 14. We got Joe and Chris from Moonshot Compost, aptly named after JFK's famous speech, uh, taking a moonshot to the moon. I, sometimes I feel like this composting business we're in is a moonshot, but I appreciate there's two passionate guys in the big metro of Houston, Texas, who are trying to tackle this food waste problem. So if you guys could tell us a little bit about your background and how you came out of your, your past careers into this composting space. Well, I'll let Chris start it off. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was kind of my fault that we ended up here. <laughs> so uh, I, I am an attorney. I'm no longer a practicing attorney. Happily, um, yes. That. I'm like the happy, all attorneys want to be former attorneys <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to be one. And uh, my wife is also an attorney. We had one daughter at home and a second daughter on the way. And we both kind of looked at each other one day and realized that one of us needed to stop doing what we were doing, or we were going to have to hire a second nanny for like nighttime help. And for uh, the second shift. For the second <laughs> shift. That's right. And, um, you know, I recommended to her it should be me because her career was really kind of taken off. And she said, I'm so glad you said that because I, I thought so too, but didn't know how to bring it up. <laughs> And, uh, and so it's great. I mean, she took maternity leave, you know, I retired from the position I was in, um, after our second daughter was born, she took maternity leave. And when she went back to work, I went to WeWork and started, um, refining some business ideas that I'd had in mind. Um, and I had, you know, a few that I was looking at and, uh, the compost concept just seemed really ripe for Houston because it's the fourth largest city in America. We have so many people, so many people from around the country and around the world. Um, and I was just so curious why no one had, had yet decided to, to jump in. And so um, at the same time I'm doing this, I realized that moving compost is kind of a transportational logistical nightmare, especially in Houston. And my brother-in-law. Yeah, and I was, I was in the business. And yeah. I, was, uh, I was working for, I guess, an original or the original third-party logistics company. And uh, Chris was just asking me random questions about compost. And, and I knew he, was, he wasn't working at the time. And I was just thinking he was bored. And he was just asking me random questions. And I was working. So, you know, I had that office job. And I just thought it was kind of odd that he was asking me. But the question started to get juicier. There was, there was good you know, responses that were required by me to look up and really look uh, into it. And then he started asking me questions about other companies, if I'd looked them up and I looked them up. And at the time I was cycling. Oh, we say this quite a bit. I was cycling quite a bit, just road biking. Yeah. Which, do you do that? I think I saw you wearing a, a cycling cap before. Yeah, that's our the, our driver outfits, our style. Oh. But we, um, unfortunately, Orlando is a sprawl just like Houston, and it's not very um, you know, physically possible. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and so uh, he had he mentioned uh, the guys over in Cleveland, Rust Belt Riders, and so. Uh, I looked in, I looked into them and I saw that these guys were picking up or that they were picking up compost or they started picking up compost on their bikes. And I thought, this guy's wanting me to handle the operations in my bike because he knows I'm cycling. <laughs> and so I was like, this guy's crazy, you know. And it was just, you know, it was just, you know, we started looking into it and one thing led to another. Uh, for different reasons, I was looking for something with a little more purpose at the time and I left my post and I started doing just a lot of personal stuff at, around the house. And 
there was a, the U.S. Composting Council was having a, a week long, uh, I guess, was it a training? It was, or, a, it was a seminar. A seminar. Yeah. On it, how, to, how to operate right. a, a large industrial compost facility. And Joe doesn't realize when I had heard he decided to do something different in his career, how excited I was. <laughs> and so I started talking to my wife and I was like, how do I loop this guy in? Because this is a dangerous conversation, his family. And I just saw there was a seminar in Denton, Texas. And, and at the time, Joe was in Dallas. So it was right down the road. Those two cities are pretty close to each other. I was like, man, I don't want to go to this thing alone. Do you mind coming with me? And you can just hear a little bit more about it too. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I guess it was about a couple of months. And I know we're getting long-winded with this, Charlie. But we just started, I started looking into it. And I started looking at, you know, there were, there were past companies in Houston that had attempted to start you know, even the pickup service. And there, I could tell there was a couple peppered composting facilities in the area. And uh, I said, you know, there may be an opportunity here. And we decided to jump in, you know, feet first. I'm a, a compost startup myself. I only dream of a place, uh, a processing facility that I yeah. could just worry about the collection side and bring all my material to mm-hmm. but i that's awesome to hear how you guys kind of started and it seems like chris like planted the seed and then yeah joe eventually just couldn't help himself but i see that you guys are certified by the, the u.s composting council as well so yeah. yeah yeah we really we really like the uscc i mean it's it's designed for people that are composting and that's not something we're doing exactly. But, you know, our business depends on the people who do that and do it well. Um, if, you know, we can, it doesn't make sense to pick up food waste if you don't have a good composting facility to take it to. Right. And we've got a couple in Houston right now that accept food waste and it helps us to do our job better to understand how they do their job because it, it helps us to guide our subscribers on how to collect their food, separate it, and how to be good, um, you know, how to be good tippers at these facilities. So we love being a part of the USCC. We yeah. went the last kind of public thing Joe and I That's did right. before it's the right. pandemic right. was uh, an annual conference for the USCC in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, kind of February of, of that fateful year yeah. before we had started our business. But That's as we we're kind of make, yeah. making that decision. That's absolutely right. We, we, you know, everybody in the industry, whether were, they were haulers or, uh, you know, had a, had a facility themselves. They were always so helpful to us. And, mm-hmm. help, you know, we were just the two guys that were around these conferences with our backpacks, you know, just kind of like guys that just freshmen in college and people were so welcoming. And, yeah, uh, that's awesome. And wasn't Michael of Rustbell Riders like the keynote at that conference? That's they, right. They won, yes. they won like what, Community Composter of the Year yeah, or something right. like that? I was dying to go to that because it's, you know, a skip, hop, and a jump. From yeah. Orlando, but um, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't make it. But I, I'm really looking forward to the Community Composting Co- Coalition conference that i hope will be in cleveland ohio yes. right there in uh the rust belt riders neck of woods um mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah i mean i want to ask you guys n- now you're close to 200 pounds composted you probably have uh you have pickup drop-off service for residential you have your commercial restaurant office services and it looks like you just expanded to Austin. So tell me, um, what of your customer base, what percentage is residential versus commercial? And of that residential, what is pickup versus drop-off? And yeah, talk about your services a little bit. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, we have 10 times the number of residential customers that we have commercial. Um, but 90% of the volume is commercial. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and that's throwing both the, res- the pickup and the drop off um, together as one. And so, um, you know, we feel like strategically what we're trying to do is to help the city of Houston um, lead a culture change around food waste recycling. And we can't lead that culture change without both residential and commercial customers. And so we're committed to that approach. But you know, it's our secondary goal is to divert as much food waste as possible, as fast as possible. And we believe the path to that is, is working with commercial businesses because they have the cleanest, largest streams. 
Um, and we've had really good luck, to be honest, with the commercial side, because we typically start with the back of the house before we transition into the front. And being, and being exposed here and being around the U.S. Composting Council and the people around, we understand how important a clean stream is. And so it's usually a good transition once we go from the back of the house into the front of yeah, the house. And I think that's a great tip for our listeners as an aspiring community composter. Just try to target the back of the house where the contamination is the lowest. You can control, you can give a employee training to the kitchen mm -hmm. staff. And you might, you might have to do that uh, periodically. But, you know, when it comes to the front of the house where the customers come and go, they may have no idea about the program. You know, it's just a crapshoot. So I think um, that's just a great advice. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Joe. No, no, I, I, you know, it's part of it, you know, and we felt that was the, the easiest way to transition, like I mentioned it. And like Chris mentioned, it's the volume. It, it's, it's surprising a lot of, the, you know, people think they've got a pretty uh, good idea. But it ends up adding up pretty quick. You know, yeah. the schools, the schools are really surprised. It was a little off here because they're, they're, you know, some of the schools were, you know, started off with 25% here, 50%, and then they scaled it back up with the, with the pandy. Uh, but yeah, the, that volume was, was just. And I heard you mention that you guys are, are you in contact with the city of Houston and the solid waste department? Well, we're, we're, we are, we're working to be, you know, the city of Houston is really large. And we were lucky to participate in an accelerator program, uh, March through June. Um, I guess we're still in it. We're just in a different phase of it now. That's right. And they've helped us to be in touch with um, key decision makers at the city of Houston. Um, the, the city of Houston has a plan, the climate action plan. Mm -hmm. And by 2040, they want to reduce by half the amount of residential waste going to the landfill. Um, but they're still working on the details of, of how they're going to achieve that. And, uh, and we, we look forward to working with them on that. And I know there are other groups in Houston that are excited about that as well. So yeah, we, we have, uh, we're in early contact with the solid waste department with some members of the city council. Um, and we're yeah, just, we're you, happy to see where it goes. Are you guys ready for a curbside composting program? If that day comes in so many years? Well, if I, I guess yes. And I mean, I think with, if we could roll it out the way we have thought and I guess laid out the, the blueprint, the initial blueprint that uh, we could uh, follow, I, I, I'm confident with, with yeah. how we started, uh, you know, to where we're at now that we could potentially grow that. Uh, but we do, we do think it's, it's interesting that the work the city did in connection with their climate action plan had a lot of due diligence and so their report includes some facts about waste that we found interesting. Mm -hmm. They said about 40% of the waste that's going to the landfill um, is residential and 53% is commercial. And when you think about how many fewer stops it is to access that 53% that's commercial versus the 47% that's residential, then just in our business, the average size, you know, the average amount of weight we collect from the two. I, I'm not saying that it, it wouldn't benefit the climate in the city of Houston to have a curbside plan. But as you pointed out, Houston is sprawling. I think I li listened to a book on tape recently that said the greater Houston area has more square <laughs> mileage than New Jersey. So when you think about uh, a, a curbside plan that touches all of the single family homes in Houston, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad goal to aspire to, but you know, Joe and I wonder if more good couldn't be done Mm -hmm. Especially when measured in a holistic way. Volume, I think you're very correct. Although mm -hmm. the other argument for residential would be that's where the storytelling takes place in the yeah. households. Agreed. And then obviously, uh, when you grow that route density, you're literally doing that stop by, like house by house, just like you would with your um, recycling carts. Yeah, I think, you know, it doesn't matter how sprawled it is. It just matters if you're you have enough trucks, your fleet is large enough to meet that. And then, um, you know, is your dispatch able to handle all those 
missed stops and customer complaints. I mean, that's something that we just uh, switch over to this new software. Oh, yeah. Our routing. And uh, I mean, it handles that a lot better than we were doing. Um, so, yeah. What, what software are you guys using right now? We have a tapestry of software that we have <laughs> woven together, um, none, of, none of which is, is custom built for our no, business. I, but we, we kind of like the balance that we've struck. Um, but it's not, it's not a waste company, right. you know, dispatch system at all. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, as, as we mentioned, I'm from the logistics background. And all we're basically going to do is handle it in just smaller phases and being able to transition it in a bigger mm -hmm. you know, manner. And I think it, it can be doable, but I, I feel it has to be pretty prescriptive on how it's approached. Uh, I've always said, or Chris has always said, it's got to be the coalition of the willing. You can't make people say, okay, you got to compost. Cause the, you know, yeah, before it's you know it, we're often program. It, it can't be just universal because that's, that's right. what happened with uh, the recycling carts. And yes. Houston, last time I heard, you guys have like a 40% contamination rate, you know, just as bad as us here in Orlando. It's really egregious and it doesn't produce a clean stream that can mm -hmm. actually be resold in the commodity market. So. That's right. And, you know, back to your original question on the software, we, we sort of view two different types of problems that we're solving with the software. One is making sure that we've optimized our routes. So we do that two ways. We don't serve the whole city yet. We have a, a service area that includes, I don't know, about 35 zip codes in Houston. You um, serve that like inner loop of Houston pretty much though? Well, it, it's an, we, we definitely serve the inner loop and then we, we go west and northwest um, okay. as well. Um, and uh, and so our routing software helps to keep our, our routes tight. And as we grow, you know, every month or two, we'll, we'll kind of re-optimize the pickup days for our customers uh, to make sure the routes are staying tight. And then we view customer communication as a huge deal. It's kind of what you were talking about earlier on, you know, the missed buckets and, and following up. And so we have a, um, a texting platform that allows us and now it used to be manual, but and now an automated way to send a text to our customers each night before we come to them to remind them to put their buckets out and we can receive texts from them as well. And so we found that that ability and, and we don't do anything else through text other than just the night before reminding them right. and then responding to any questions that they have. And those two things together have helped us yeah, keep a fairly optimized route and uh, we have a pretty high hit rate that's on right. people remembering to yeah, put their you're not out. missing set outs. And I, I think that's a great that you guys are doing it at is some kind of a reminder. Yes. Like our new software allows customers to choose whether they receive text or emails. Mm -hmm. Some people prefer emails. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's huge and you don't want to, you know, people aren't going to be mindful about it. So you, you want to give them a little evening reminder. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems we weren't sure how that was going to be, you know, taken. But, you know, after, I guess, six, seven months, we heard people really did appreciate that, that reminder. So that's okay. But again, like Chris mentioned, that's, that's all we're doing with that platform. And, you know, another thing we do, and you guys may do this too, we have a, uh, for our pickup customers, they can receive a $5 credit if, if they advise us ahead of time of a skip. And so that creates a little bit of incentive for them to respond to that text when it comes to it's to their benefit. Oh man, I'm out of town or I won't be able to put it out tomorrow. Let me let them know. And so that it keeps it a more active um, mechanism for communication than totally passive because there's something yeah. in it for them. That's funny you guys chose $5 for a skip because we did the same thing, $5. Oh, so That's awesome. We probably copied you guys then. <laughs> no, we probably copied you. <laughs> so it uh, works. I know you, you guys are doing drop-offs, which is something uh, we're looking into getting into in the next couple months at a, a big farmer's market here in the region. Cool. But how is your drop-off system kind of set up? And 
you do you feel like that's really um, beneficial from a volume diversion standpoint as well as economically? I, I we do. In oddly enough, one of our neighbors or Chris's neighbors linked us up with a garden in our neighborhood, and he was very welcoming. And we set it up with him, and he's part well, of. And, and it's, that's that's even under describing it. I mean. <laughs> I've lived in this area for like eight years yeah. and had no idea. It's a right, true urban farm. Right around know, the corner. The streets everywhere. Yeah. I drove by every day, you know, four times a day. It was a beautiful urban garden. Two empty lots that he has at least 20 raised beds on. He's had them for forever. Um, it was a community garden. Now it's an urban farm. He grows all his produce and sells it at, at a co-op um, not far from there. And uh, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And my neighbor was like, yeah, you should talk to Scott. Yeah, yeah. And we saw Scott's garden. We're like, man, we need to figure out. And he was composting there. Yeah. You know? And so we're like, we need to figure out some way to work with it. Often the most challenging part for community composters trying to find drop-off locations and finding people who are willing to post the tote bins or, you know, whatever you Mm -hmm. need, which is Mm -hmm. usually the, the totes. Uh, some kind of signage above the totes, like yeah. I imagine the vinyl sign. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Have you been there? You were, you were <laughs> Sounds like you just there. drove by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, so how many? You know, is that your only drop-off location? Or no, you know? no, it was our first one, and it, you know, it was kind of slow to take off. In very, the, very, very slow, slow to take off. And we were also at a farmers market as well. But we weren't collecting there. It was just to get the word out. And, uh, you know, that really helped, you know, uh, you know, start advertising our, 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 our service, including the drop off. And a lot of the people that signed up were for yeah. that drop off location. And, uh, you know, it's only 10 bucks a month and it works. That's for a lot what of I'm people. saying, like, sometimes if tabling is low cost enough, uh-huh. like, just bake that into your marketing budget. And it's so that's right. So good for getting the word out. As long as you're, um, you know, you, you kind of have to step in front of people like, Hey, have you heard of this composting service? Yeah, well, yeah. That, 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 that's exactly what we started off with. When we first set up our booth there, people would walk by and just kind of look and wonder what we're doing. And that was exactly what we would say. Hey, <laughs> can we help you start composting? They're like, Whoa. yeah, but, you know, people became, you know, more interested in, you know, once we took off that that location is I think now we've got four drop-off locations for the community, for community. And uh, I think I want to say for the month of May, I think we picked up over uh, 2000 pounds in that one location. Yeah, almost right? yeah, 2,500 uh, in 20, May, 2,500 and about 8,500 um, through May since through we, May. since we started wow, it. That's yeah. awesome. And, yeah. and I know it was slow to get going, but after how long did you get like kind of that, that density, that customer? December, yeah. December to January is when it took off. Yeah. So August, uh, September and October, I think that's Scott, good. the farmer there was, um, was a little worried about us. You know, he was like, yeah. man, I'm not seeing much volume happening at this drop-off site. I don't yeah. know if these guys are going to make it. But it took off. We went from, you know, collecting one bin once a week to then having to do two bins. And now it's two bins twice a week that we're collecting there. So it's how many many months was that after you started it? I think it was about three or four, maybe four. And it it was it was super noticeable, (laughs) you know, because we had to buy these, you know, because we also give them the same setup. We give them a counter caddy and and a bin. And with the regulations around that, we have our labels, our stickers of what we take and what we can take uh, for the drop off. And with regulations surrounding that as a drop off, we can't take uh, meats, poultry and seafood. So, you know, people appreciate having that, you know, on their bucket. So, yeah, that's different for, for our pickup service. We are able to pick up proteins. So our compost facilities can process it. But because our drop off location we collect seven days a week, but we don't pick up each day. Um, we don't pick up uh, proteins. Yeah. yeah. Hey, rephrase that. So you can't take proteins because you collect. It, well, cause it's uh, from a, the regulatory framework in Texas. 
uh-huh. would, would change the filings that are required by the urban garden where they would go from being like exempt so, as a de minimis to compost the, the stuff right there at the garden that people drop off. Well, you know, um, th- this is one of those times where my background as a lawyer makes this way more interesting to me than probably <laughs> other people. But but uh, we, we actually went out and hired uh, environmental and legal counsel on this to make sure we could set up a program that fit within the regulatory framework that wouldn't cause any heartburn for the community gardeners that we're working with. And quite frankly, that would just be cleaner for our customers. You know, when we're picking up from them once a week, if they're putting protein in the buckets, that's that's sort of their decision. And they have a lot of discretion on how they manage that process. You know, some people keep it in the freezer before they put it in our bucket. Some people hold the, the protein in their fridge and they move it the night before. You know, there's a lot of different things you can do. But if you're doing a drop-off program and you're showing up in July in Houston to a bin that's had protein in it for 48 hours, um, you know, it's, it's a special kind of person who, who could stomach that. So it's just a better, cleaner pickup experience for us if it's, if it's just vegetables. Um, gotcha. and, uh, but for our pickup, we, you know, for people who do want us to collect their protein as well, we do have a pickup program and that's not a problem. Ah, I see why you are going to twice a week that you service those drop-off locations to kind of minimize the time that that, that food scraps is sitting in the totes and kind of like mm-hmm. breaking it down. And yeah, and that, that makes me happy that we're only going to be t- uh, doing drop-off five hours at a, a five hour mm-hmm. farmer's market once a week. And yeah. at the end of the farmer's market, we're able to just take that back to our composting facility. Yeah. But unlike you guys, the, the, we don't have the benefit of offering our drop-off subscribers, you know, like week long access or 24 hour access or anything like that. So we tell them dawn to dusk so yeah. that we keep it safe, you know, but uh, yeah, but yeah, it is, it is nice. And, and for Joe and I, we felt like finding a solution that let people utilize it on their life schedule rather than on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning when farmers markets are often held. There was just an upside to that because we really, we're trying to bring as many people into this tent as we can. And so we were happy the, that we're at, that this has been able to work so far. And to your point, it, we would have had to take, if we had a drop off, at the, at a, at our at the market at the farmers market, we would have had to take it that day to the compost facility, and the time wouldn't allow us to. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for us to be able to to go tip that that afternoon after the farmers market. And I totally understand those logistics. Yeah. We're lucky enough that one of our main partners that operates out of our warehouse is the biggest produce seller at the farmer's market so wow. it's our hope that all those people are coming in to buy fresh veggies are also dropping off their food scraps kind of making that cyclic yeah. Yeah. and then our composting site is like less than 10 minutes uh oh, yeah. so it's <laughs> too good to be true <laughs> yeah that's great yeah that's we're a big score we're, thir- we're 35 <laughs> yeah. miles to each um, yeah. to each of our facilities. And so. I notice you guys, uh, for your commercial, like you guys use like big drum looking bins yeah. versus the wheelie totes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ex- could you describe those bins and yeah, why? You know, that was, that was prescriptive because we wanted to separate ourselves as much from the waste management operation. So we could get toters as well. We could have gotten that same style, you know, but it, we want people to see that and associate that with, with composting or food scraps and not, not trash. And, you know, just another trash, bin. just another trash bin. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little more effort to open one of our drums versus a toter where you can just lift it up. And we had looked into other toters with a lock, but part of our, I guess, research and speaking to other uh, hauling companies like ours that did have those locks, we noticed that was a, that was a big, that was a big expense because they ended up 
getting rusted and corroded and they would have to change the mechanism to lock the toters for, for the commercial. And the other thing we thought a lot about <clears throat> was the, um, the heat in Houston and what that does to collections and, and how smelly it can get. And so we, we wanted to find something that would hold smell in and keep rodents and bugs out um, and made that a real high priority. And so we were able to find some, some 55 gallon drums that yeah. we liked that we felt like we could build a, build a program around. And we found that it works with the truck that we use. It makes it, it's a little easier to clean and keep clean. Um, we exchange the drums as part of our commercial program and, and wash them. Um, and so that's all of that. I think is a little easier for us that's because right. of the size and shape. Right. And it, you know, from Chris's background in, 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 in oil and gas, safety is a big concern. So we make sure, you know, these drums clamp on even for the transport. So it's worked out the people on, on, in the restaurant side, they appreciate it because, you know, their, their actual trash toters, don't yeah. smell anymore, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's the benefit of source-separated yeah. organics is it pre it basically creates the garbage stream is nothing but inert plastic, mm -hmm. paper. It, it's not gross anymore. And mm -hmm. you know, I could go swimming in the dumpster. It'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I have a couple questions about these drums. Um, first, how do you, do you like put like a dolly, a wheelie thing to, to transport them to truck? Well, yes. I was adamant that we yeah. use dollies at the beginning. So Again, we do, worried about safety. And so we do have a drum dolly and our drivers quickly realized that it was just, it was taking too long to get them under the dolly, the true drum dolly. And uh, it's got a strap on there to safely move it to the truck. We've got a lift gate. And so it's, it's just as easy to just roll them on that side and get them up on our, our uh, on the, edge. on the edge of the bottom. And, and, and we, honestly, it's been super, yeah, it's super been, easy and safe. It's so, efficient. Yeah. And other than a couple locations, we're not having to go very far distances. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, I don't know, maybe 30 yards is maybe the long, the mm -hmm. furthest. And I'm maybe overestimating yeah. that. So yeah. just rolling it on the side, it, it's pretty easy. Yeah. That's great. And my other question is when you're at the composting facility, how do you tip those out? Cause with the totes, you luckily have like the bar on the side that you can the grab wheel. and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've seen guys do that. And, uh, but it's, it's actually. That's the biggest con to our system. It is, it is. But I, I think of, or we've been able to have some good uh, drivers and tippers that we've kind of understood like, this actually works because we we're tipping it over and gravity does the rest. Sometimes the air holds it down, but we're able to, mm. to maneuver through that. Yeah. It's just, just as easy. And they weigh, they weigh a little less, you know, the 55 gallon right. drum is, is smaller than the typical 64 or 96 gallon toter. So some of them can get very heavy and we talk to our commercial customers to remind them don't, don't fill it to the very brim brim, you know, give us some space there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so from a weight perspective, you know, it, there's probably a, a band of about, you know, a uh, hundred pounds from a light, a light full to a heavy full yeah. 55 gallon drum, but it's, it yeah. hasn't, it hasn't been too big of a problem. It's the biggest con, but it's not yeah, a big, big enough con for us to switch. That's, that's true. And yeah. it's, it's easy for storage. And that was one of the early decisions as well, because I guess toters you can can nestle as well, but you can take the wheels off though. Oh, that we, we can to, we can nest our we can nest our drums pretty yeah. easily for storage. Oh, awesome. Yeah, uh, so yeah, that, that's a good uh, warehousing piece of of that as well. As you start to take on more food scraps, you realize very quickly that you need a better composting system to process the material. This is why I highly recommend the aerated static pile micro bin designed and made easy by O2 Compost. In 60 days, I have finished compost without putting in the labor of turning the pile. The piles heat up to over 140 degrees, killing pathogens, weed seeds, and fly larvae, making the end product safe to use in the garden. With 32 plus years of experience in the compost industry, Peter Moon, owner of O2 Compost, is a leading expert in the field of ASP composting. I encourage you to set up a free half an hour consultation with Peter Moon by going to his website, www.o2.com.
o2compost.com. That's the letter O, the number two, compost.com. If you mentioned that you heard about O2 Compost on this podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount on the purchase of the Microbin Compost Training Program. So I, I noticed, you know, from you guys' Instagram that, you know, as a startup, you guys, you know, were able to hire a couple drivers or at least one. Uh, you have a box truck. And, you know, you guys are really, your website is nice and clean. You're doing, like, very professional. I think one of the things community composters struggle with is that that capital at the beginning and um, how to not just start. Like, it seems like, unlike the typical community composter who starts with maybe a bike or their, their suburban car, uh, you guys were able to jump right in and start diverting significant amounts of waste, which, you know, that's awesome. I, big kudos to you guys. But, you know, how were you able to do that? And then how, uh, what is your next big capital expenditure that you're kind of looking towards that's going to level you up and scale? Yeah. Well, well thanks for 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 the kudos there because yeah we 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 put a lot of thought into that but Mm -hmm. no we were using our personal cars for when we originally started so uh but you gotta you gotta go back in the instagram feed for that but there's (laughs) yeah there's pickups in there and and we also started renting trucks very early on we wanted to make sure to be able to get an understanding of the the vehicle that we were going to go with and how we could utilize it for diff- for the commercial, even though we didn't have commercial stocks, but make sure we understood that it could be utilized for both commercial and the residential. And, uh, you know, be able to navigate that through the- Oh, you guys use your box trucks for residential as well? Yeah. So we, I mean, that took, like, we spent, you know, a, a few months, a couple months, give or take, of August- renting- August, September, no, October. July, July, September, and October, October of renting trucks. different types of trucks. U-Haul, Penske, and Ryder. I think we rented every type of truck that they had at different times just and to just te- check it out. Yeah, just to make sure the van, and just to make sure what would work, even without a lift gate, could we use a truck with just the ramp? Could we do yeah. that? So and I would to- love to know about that because I'm in that phase right now. Like we're yeah. in the trailer. And I am set on a lift gate, but will a ramp work if I were to get, rent a U? <laughs> we had we had a guy who was helping us with some technology, and I had him uh, run some ex- about like that, do some yeah. physics. He was a physicist, so I was yeah. like, "Hey, how often do you get to work with a physicist?" I'm like, "How much? You know, how much? Of a, how long? And and at what angle does the ramp have to be for a human to pull 300 pounds up? You know." And I'll tell you, the answer was not very uh, usable. So don't don't find a physicist to run you <laughs> some equations. But we did. Have, our first driver was a, a family friend of mine, actually a family member, and and he was kind and had some time. And he was very young and exceptionally strong. And um, he said, "Never send me out in a truck with a ramp again." <laughs> it was so really hard. hard, really, really but, hard. Yeah, but that was part of that was part of why we did that. Yeah. We wanted to make sure with this guy that can you know, that's pretty strong and, and can physically do this. Can we do, can we use this truck or not? Can right. we use that truck? So it, yes, it was a little costly, but we wanted to make sure mm-hmm. this is what was going to work. And, you know, I guess we knew we were going to be, able, I don't know how, but we knew we were eventually going to end up with commercial accounts. Uh, well, actually, I think we did end it up with uh, with Conoco, yeah. and that's when we're like, okay, we gotta get we were a, we were a box truck, and that's when we rented. Uh, and it has a lift gate, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Like, we can't show up at a corporate office, Conoco Phillips, with one of our trucks or one of our personal vehicles, and that's when we decided, okay, let's rent this truck, and that that's eventually what we ended up with. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, that's great though. Cause you know, that's what I'm going through right now on the commercial side. And 
you know, uh, we use five gallon buckets for residential. And mm -hmm. I think there's enough experience and knowledge out there that for the five gallon bucket swap system, the cargo vans, the high tops can hold a hundred plus of those suckers. So mm -hmm. you gotta go with the, the cargo van for residential at least. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, that's, yeah, that's, that's really good to know. And I guess what is your, like, what are you guys looking towards purchasing next that's going to really scale Moonshot Compost? You know, it's funny, from a capital perspective, we want to keep the cost as low as possible. I, I just, you know, we want to have, um, you know, Joe and I joke a lot about Southwest Airlines, you know, they have one plane, you know, just one style of plane, and that way it's everything's interchangeable. And so, our goal would be to continue to construct a business that's, that uses a minimum of different types of equipment and inventory so that, it, so as things break, which, and you know, it's, this is that we're, we're moving heavy stuff. So things are going to break that it, we've always got the next thing kind of lined up. Um, so we, we like our system. So it's, it's kind of just, you know, more trucks and more drums as we grow. We're pretty focused right now on technology. Yeah. I was just going to say, that. Uh, we, we really want to communicate to our subscribers in their kitchen, the benefits of what they're doing by diverting their food waste. Mm -hmm. You know, climate change is, is such a tricky concept for Americans. Um, even friends and family have a hard time finding words to talk about what it is and what it means, if it exists and what are the impacts. Um, but you can kind of cut through that by saying, regardless of all those things, here's something that you can do that will limit how, limit how much goes to the landfill and will limit how much methane is emitted. And that's a good thing, right? So you can limit it to a, a couple of very knowable things. And then we just wanna communicate to people what they're doing. So we're working on technology platforms that are, are minimally invasive, that people can utilize in their kitchen to see what them and their neighbors are up to and see what the positive benefits of that are. And, uh, and then a way to let our commercial customers kind of get in on that too and see, oh man, so there's 200 people surrounding my business that care enough about food waste diversion that they're paying for it. So they share you know? the same values and we feel that we can help bridge that gap. In fact, we've already, some, I guess, launched it for the commercial side where they're able to get on our platform and they're able to see what they've diverted. Uh, and uh, mm -hmm. what, So what it's a reporting like customer portal system? Yeah, we're trying to make it less like a monthly report that you send and more like a platform that's available anytime someone wants to access it. Um, obviously, it doesn't change that often. I mean, we service our commercial customers once or twice a week, and so it's not like constantly updating. But Rice University is the first um, what we refer to as commercial customer of ours that we built this for. And they have six different cafeterias on campus. Um, the Rice campus is, is very beautiful and it's surrounded by the city and, um, and it can't get any larger because it's surrounded by the city. So they've, they've done a lot of things logistically to make mm -hmm. it possible to serve their students. So they kind of have run, they have a ring of cafeterias around their campus that make it easy for food to come in and trash to go out. And so um, we built this platform that'll show how much we've collected from each of their cafeterias by cafeteria, as well as the total amount and then kind of the carbon equivalencies, the carbon sa you know, savings. And, uh, and it's just accessible by QR code, you know? And so they can use that QR code however they see fit. It's not proprietary, it's just a QR code. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, that's um, great because I think um, we're planning on servicing like a, a big university here in, in town. And that's how we imagine it is like something on the table of the dining hall. Right, yes. People can scan a QR code and see the impact and know what does and doesn't go in the bins. Mm -hmm. So that's a way you can tackle the front of house that right. you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. That's, you're, you're right on it, Charlie. That's exactly our thought as well. And, and we weigh everything too. It's not like if it's a four gallon bucket, it's full. I think, you know, just as well as we are, not every bucket is full every time. So yeah. everything we pick up on the commercial and the residential side is weighed. And 
and, and you know it's always been one of our mantras is you can't change what you can't measure and so we wanted to make sure and keep that uh in front of everybody that we service and yeah, yeah no, I mean, you guys look up to the rust belt riders and they totally are sticklers about you know walking the talk and um you know really aligning with their company's mission so taking those small uh steps and not taking shortcuts uh, is you know, I think what you guys are also looking to do, and it's huge, you know, you, you, we're not trying to become the waste management of, and that's funny because I think waste management's headquarters is there in Houston too. <laughs> it's true. You know, we have a lot of uh, corporate headquarters. I think we're have the third, third most in the country behind, you know, New York and mm -hmm. San Francisco or something. Um, and we, we have, a, I think, a couple of large waste companies that are headquartered here. But we do. I mean, Joe and I, you're always, I'm sure you're the same way. You're having these conversations monthly, weekly. What do we want to look like if we're lucky enough to be bigger? Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, we, we think the trash model makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. for waste collection for obvious reasons. It wouldn't be this way if it didn't make sense. But what we're collecting isn't trash. And it's not going to a dump. It's going somewhere where humans are working hard to turn it into something valuable. And so we want to pull that approach to what we're collecting all the way back to that source separation and to help everyone who's participating and realize, no, this is cool. This is different. This isn't trash. And let's, if it mm -hmm. takes me an extra five seconds or an extra seven seconds, yeah. I, we want to incentivize people to take that five to seven. If we're using yeah. shame and guilt and, and, and you know, punishment, uh, that'll take us down one path. But if we can inspire people to understand and to see the impact, we feel like that's going to catch the most flies, I guess, you know? And, you know, it also like, and that's where we feel that that platform that we've already have in place, that'll help inspire them too. It'll help their, their neighbors and neighborhoods uh, feel like, okay, I'll, you know, I'm going to, our neighborhood to do a little better. And, you know, same with the restaurants. We don't want e even the corporate companies to just talk about their green initiatives, you know, at their 10K report every quarter. You know, we want them to be able to have that megaphone to, to show the good that they're doing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be us. We don't have to be the ones that are, that are doing the operations for them, but we can manage their data, you know, mm -hmm. for them. We, it's... It's super customizable. So even for you, Charlie, or, you know, if you, if you want to start using it or, you know, mm -hmm. we don't have to go to Orlando, you mm -hmm. know, it's yeah. something that's super easy to, to manage. Uh, and, yeah, I yeah. think that would be really interesting. Uh, right now I'm using Google Sheets and just tracking my commercial customers' weight. And then yep. with this new software, we are, you know, our, our whereas... In the old days, before the software, we would weigh everything back at the site and, you know, take the number of stops, come up with an average. Now, yeah. we, our driver weighs it right there at the stop. So the they can, uh, that, that poundage gets assigned to the customer and they can log into their customer portal. Yeah see how much they're diverting that's awesome that's great man yeah. that's exactly what we're doing i love it i, I think we may have copied you on that too so. <laughs> but, we're, we're, but yeah i mean it's the same way our drivers are, are using it including us i don't want to say we're not doing that but uh we're out there on the field very often and yeah. also doing the sales calls but you know you'll see i'm sure chris has one of the same scales in his truck i've got one in my truck rachel she's on mm -hmm. the team i'm sure she's got one in her car yeah. so you know, if we're out and about and you're like, hey, you're in the area, why don't you grab this bucket and, you know, customize yeah. I didn't even uh, scroll far back to see your, you know, your infant days. So I apologize for assuming that you uh, yeah. started off like oh, and muscle. Yeah, and we moved there. We moved there pretty quickly, but we were in uh, we were in Joe's pickup for, for yeah. the first few months. Uh, and we would just rent like a truck once a week. Yeah. Um, to, to test it out, to try to see what was going to work best for us and our ops. So, yeah, I mean, back to your question, I think most of our expenditure right now is focused on, you know, developing software platforms that we think 
you know, are consistent with our values that communicate in meaningful ways to our customers. And then just, you know, how to get the word out, you know, developing things that help to foster the type of density that, that you, that you mentioned earlier, you know, it's not how many people you're collecting from, it's how many people and in, in, in what area you're collecting from, you know, that density. So we're trying to, we're trying to draw everything we're doing is, is aimed at trying to drive greater and greater density. And so that's where, that's where our focus is monetarily. It was, you know, it was a huge commitment for us. Um, and it was one we're able to do because we're older, right? So we've just been working longer than most people who start one of these businesses. Um, but to spend some money with a marketing firm that helped us the first year build our website, you know, do all those things that we didn't have the skill set for. Um, yeah, but um, once we got that set, we've kind of turned our attention first to ops and then now, now a little bit to the software. So, yeah, I think that's something that I struggled with is not not growing too fast. Um, mm -hmm. Get a, you know, you get a couple a dozen requests outside your service area and you're like, oh, I need to get out there. And <laughs> that's not necessarily the case if it's like a 45 minute drive along toll road. Yeah. So, yeah. You need to like what one of my mentors said is imagine your business is like a rubber band and you got to stretch it to the absolute farthest before it breaks. And then you're ready to move on to the next rubber band and you know, mm -hmm. kind of go out like that. Yeah. That's great advice. Who are some of the companies that, did you reach out to any companies as you were getting started in your early days to kind of interview them and, uh, and uh, pick their brains? Yeah, one of, my, um, one of my most important mentors in the waste industry it was Gary Bilbro, who uh, was actually interviewed on this podcast a few episodes back. And he started his own composting company in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, I come from the solid waste industry. So I do have a lot of experience moving totes and um, as well as just knowing like the data side of the industry. So that helps just like your backgrounds have helped. And I wish I had your attorney background because, you know, we're coming against those old archaic laws that are preventing food waste recyclers from operating, Chris. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it, it really takes like a team of people. And that's that's awesome. If you haven't listened to that episode of Gary, Highly We've met Gary yeah. um, at, in South Carolina at the USCC conference, and then one of uh, one of like we got to tour his. his well, I guess it used to be, yeah. yeah, it used to be his, yeah. his old company. Um, we got to tour their operations when we were there, oh. and it was a huge benefit to us because you know when you're table topping a potential business in an industry you have not been in before. Um, <laughs> it's hard to check your, your, your priors, you know, these assumptions that you have. And, and yeah. several people were amazing to us in the early days. And one of them was uh, Gary's prior company. They, they just, they, they let a couple guys from Texas hang out for a day. Yeah. And it was, it was a huge asset to us uh, in that early, those early stages. Yeah. Smart recycling. They're, they're killing it out there. And yeah, they are. Gary is like still sitting on the board. So he, still has uh, some advisory, like he's part of the operations in that respect. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just hoping that kind of, uh, that kind of customer base creeps down to Florida. Uh, what, you know, we're, we've been hearing a lot here in Florida is people unwilling to start composting their food scraps, uh, commercial and residential customers alike, just not understanding why they would have to pay for the collection of the food scraps if they're donating the compost. Like they think that we're just some farmers in a pickup truck picking up their food waste so we can benefit from it. I mean, and it looks like you guys have experienced the same thing. It's, I mean, it's, it's not funny to them, but it's hysterical to us. I mean, we walked away from our careers. We have families. We, you know, it's, this is our heart and soul is, is planning this business in a way that's, 
both, you know, profitable and environmentally impactful. And someone comes walking up to your farmer's market booth and says, so what, you mean I have to pay for this? Yeah. I mean, we just crack up every time, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, well, I wish we could do it for free, but the car you used to drive here, was that free? <laughs> well, I mean, we've been walking into, you know, a restaurant, you know, they were wanting us to pay them. Yeah. They're like, no, I want you to pay me because you're going to end up making compost out of this. Mm. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so this is how it does become free in people's eyes. Keep pushing. 10 years from now, the city of Houston has a curbside composting program that's municipal wide. And it's not really free, just like trash and recycling collection isn't free, but it's baked into the property taxes and it's not really apparent to people. Mm -hmm. So that to you know, that's how composting can become free in a lot of people's eyes. And, um, you know, I just, one of my mentors was like, yeah, you might want to make your service free and get a bunch of government grants to kind of subsidize the operations. And I'm like, no, I mean, I think it will become free as soon as people, as soon as it becomes a way of life, and it, it's no longer like this additional service that, you know, people are actively paying for. If they're passively paying for it because it's a utility, then yeah. You know, one of the things that, that occurs to Joe and I as we're having this exact same conversation off podcast as we're having right now is that, you know, our service looks a lot like the free services that are happening in people's kitchens and garages right now with the, the waste collection and the recycling. And so they're like, why isn't this free too? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the, the silver lining that we have right now in America is the opportunity for businesses to try to innovate their way to profitability without city and state mandates. And it's a challenge. It's really hard, but I think, I think, with, you know, what there's got to be at least 200 micro haulers across the U.S. right now, mm-hmm. all out there trying to figure this out. Um, all of us taking the best practices we see from the haulers we respect the most and making them fit into the regions in which we're operating. I have a feeling like we're going to create a business that offers consumers sufficient value that they're willing to opt in and pay for it. Um, and I, you know, at some point, there will come a time in America like it's come in some Asian countries and in many European countries where this is a, a civic uh, option that everyone do, you know, has for free because the government is subsidizing it. But it yeah. feels like whether it's 10 years or 15 years, you know, to have full U.S. coverage, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a minute. Right. Like, you know, just like garbage collection, the, the, the hauler, it's paid by the city uh, through mm-hmm. a municipal contract. So mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, we're doing pretty good in a place that had zero people paying for a composting service. You know, a year and a half later, we were able to service over 300 people. So that's awesome, that's man. Residential. So, but, you know, we're nothing compared to like the bootstraps, like, Rust Belt Riders, you know, I think different markets in the United States, it's more challenging depending where you are. And Houston, despite your huge population, I'm sure it's quite difficult out there. So Yeah, it is. It is. Like, it, like Chris mentioned, even at the farmer's market, we, I guess we had, we were just talking about this one lady. She walked up to us and said, can you take my compost? And we're like, no, oh, we have a drop off. It's, you know, $10 a month and trying to sell it to her. And even she's thinking like, no, this may work for other people, but this isn't going to work for everybody. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it's, These guys are trying to get off on me. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Yeah, it's but just, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's a, it's a culture change and we're happy to, to be playing a small part in it. It really is you know. a culture change. Yeah, so, you know, my last question relates to your move out to Austin, Texas. I assume that's the big announcement that you had to delay this conversation for. And I just, I know that um, Austin, Texas, they've 
they have a food waste mandate commercially and they have mm-hmm. a pretty robust curbside composting service. So where do you guys see the opportunity for micro hauling and community composting? Well, I mean, to be completely transparent, it just came to us and we saw the demand uh, from current customers in, in Houston. That have operations in Austin. That have operations in Austin and they, they liked the way we handled it and the way we report it and the technology. So they were saying why this hasn't been done in Austin that have been doing it for a couple of years or however long is beyond me. And so we were like, okay. Private versus public scenario. Yeah, we're, we're um, experiencing the same thing. We can't compete with the city of Orlando's rates for compost collection. $14 a month for weekly pickups. Mm-hmm. It's heavily subsidized, but what we can do better is report very accurately and um, you know blast on social media, portray our clients as environmental leaders in the community and mm-hmm. really be like, create that story that any commercial client loves to see. So mm-hmm. I'm so happy that you guys found that that niche and so we haven't we have not started our operations yeah. there yet you know but we are we're lined up to do it with several with a couple of our customers or several locations mm-hmm. um, we're we're waiting for some operational things on their end to to smooth out so our website says we're coming to Austin soon we're trying to collect um, uh, interest what's funny is we've been told by people before we were there. That, that do the curbside through the city, which is great. And we think all cities should have curbside. We're not opposed to it at all. But there are certain challenges, pain points experienced by people who utilize curbside. You, know, you have a very large container that's very hard to keep clean. Um, rodents get into it because it's not like locked, you know. And so it's a, it's a little bit of a challenge. And we had had some people say, man, if y'all ever come to Austin, I'd think about using you because you're cheaper than the service I pay to come clean my my bin once a month, you know? Um, So I don't think we're ever going to have a residential service there, but you know, the residential uh, curbside in Austin, I think is for only single family um, residences. And so there may be some room in there for us. Kind of like the compost cleans where in San Antonio, they have single family curbside, but not multifamily. So there is definitely opportunity on the yeah. residential side. In scraps, scraps Mile High in Denver. That's right. Uh, which is a company we don't know, but who we uh, yeah we both we love following. Uh, I we think, think they're we great. To, yeah, we need to reach out to them. You know, it's just they they've got a great program there as well. And, and, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that it, it's once they give us the the green light in Austin, uh, yeah. you know, we're going to be up there, and you know. It's going to be, we already got the template here and we're just basically going to take it uh, there to Austin and see how we can compete with some more mature companies. Yeah. And that's we're when we went up there already to visit these locations for, you know, the, the, the customers, uh, you know, the other restaurants there that you can see all the different composting companies that are already servicing. And we're just a couple guys from Houston that are now moving to Austin and we're like, what are we doing? Yeah. We're already going to start, you know, here in the yeah. town for the composters. And we're like, all right. Oh, you're the logistics guy. Like, what does that look like as far as logistics? Um, are you guys going to have like a, a warehouse to kind of run a vehicle out of? Or Yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard to replicate what we have here in Houston. But it's going to be a smaller version of this, uh, of this place. And yeah. Uh, and, you know, as long as we can park the trucks, it's not that far from here, but it's still going to require us to have the, the equipment there. And, and, and non-logistics lingo, Austin is so much smaller. Yeah. You know, so when we're, when we're looking at someone's northern yeah. location and their southern location, yeah, it's like 10 minutes away from each other. And Houston, I, I mean, we... Yeah, I mean, one of, one of our days, the, the most southern and most northern pickups are like 55 miles apart. Well, we were touring yeah. these, we were touring the restaurants. They, I mean, it was several restaurants and we couldn't believe how fast we got through all of them. We're yeah. like, oh, wow. We're, so, you know, we basically toured, you know, I think it was like eight different locations and yeah. we already knocked them out, you know, so it's, yeah. it's pretty, uh, 
it's so route, much smaller than Houston. So that route density is really important to it is. Cost, love. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you guys so much. And I wish you best of success. You guys are doing great things out there in Texas, Houston, which, um, you know, some people might consider the belly of the beast when it comes to the environment. So that's right. Keep doing what you're doing. And I'm happy to stay on after this. Uh, I hit stop recording and we can just chat a little bit. That'd be yeah, great. That'd be great. We love yeah. it. And thank you for everything yeah. you're doing yeah, to for sure. bring a, a spotlight to people around the country that are in our space. I think um, I think the more we can all share our own experiences, uh, the better it is for the industry. And so that's really great. Thank you for everything you're doing. No problem. Take care. All right. Thanks. Please rate and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. If you feel like this is good content and you're learning a lot about compost, 